0: i always enjoy seeing you beautiful people but now i'm real anxious to hear from our speaker phil p from newport beach california
1: phil good morning my name is phil petty and i'm an alcoholic i would like to make one correction on the program i am listed as being from los angeles california i am not Los Angeles, California, has a baseball team that will end its season today. I am from Orange County, California, where the playoffs will begin on Tuesday.
2: <laughs>
1: I live in Newport Beach. I, uh, I would like to complain about the catering at this conference, but it's been the best I have uh, seen in, in many a year. I, I've never seen as many people fed as well and as quickly as these people have done for three meals. I think it's been outstanding. I would like to complain about the uh, violent breaking of the ninth tradition by the people who put this conference on. Since the ninth tradition begins, they, as such, shall never be organized. And this thing has been organized beautifully. It's run very well, and I want to thank uh, personally Barney and Marnie, which sounds like a third-rate comedy team in a waterfront dive, for their efforts here. I also. think Jerry has done a terrific job and I want to congratulate the incoming state officers. Uh, for those of you in the back of the room who may not have had a chance to see them closely, I did. And all I can say is, if I lived in Kansas, I think I'd call a bonding company and be sure the premiums were paid for the coming year. <laughs> in all seriousness, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, I don't know if there would be anybody attending a first meeting on an occasion like this, but if they did... They would already have experienced some of the relief that I experienced in my first meeting when Rich got up and identified himself as an alcoholic, because Rich doesn't look like one. And of course, Philomena got up and identified herself as an alcoholic, and she doesn't look like one. And the members of the the state slate here were all introduced to you as alcoholics, and they don't look like alcoholics. And then, of course, if you have any sense of discretion and taste, you have already concluded that I don't look like an alcoholic. (laughs) Now, I have been an active member of this fellowship and continuously sober for 17 and a half years, and I would guess that in uh, local meetings, regional, state, national, and international conferences, conventions, and so on, that I have seen upwards of a quarter of a million recovering alcoholics over the years. I have been taking a survey in all of these meetings to find out, uh, or to look for, people who look like alcoholics. And I am happy to report that up to and including this morning, I have seen fewer than 10 people in AA meetings who look like alcoholics, every one of whom turned out to be a member of (laughs) Al-Anon. There's a good reason for that. Did you ever make book on a new couple walking in? Which one is the drunk? I am invariably wrong. I I keep forgetting. If you drank like I did, I was anesthetized for most of my drinking career. Uh, To this day, I don't remember parts of my story. But the poor non-alcoholic spouse has had to live through every rotten minute of it, you know. They are bound to pick up mileage along the way. Luckily, when they get into Alanine, they get younger looking quicker than we do, and it all balances out. Uh, in the interest of greater AA Alanine harmony, I would like to make one other observation to the Alanines who are present here today, male and female, and who have done such a tremendous job here this weekend. Your drinking habits are every bit as peculiar to me as mine ever were to you. <laughs> have you ever seen an Alanine drink? My wife, Joni, who is here with me, is a good example. She is currently quaffing it down at the rate of about a fifth every two
2: years.
1: (laughs) You give her two of those little plastic drinks they give you on an airplane, and it will take her all the way to Hong Kong. As our speaker said last night, if you gave me two of those little plastic drinks and I didn't think you had a bottle to back it up, I would have said, don't tease me, let's not even get started, if we're not serious about it. But I'm a great believer in the Al-Anon program, and I say this sincerely, I have seen recoveries in Al-Anon that are every bit as miraculous as any I have ever seen in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so long as this remains a family illness, and I am convinced it is, we will need a family recovery. And I am personally grateful to Al-Anon for the happiness that you have added to my life, uh, not only uh, through my wife, Joan, but also personally in, in attending your meetings and in learning from you. Um, I'm kind of a garden variety drunk. I don't have any tremendous story to tell. Uh, I uh, did most of the things that drinkers do in order to qualify for AA membership. And if you are my kind of drunk, you don't come to Alcoholics Anonymous first. Now my kind of drunk is a phony. And therefore, if you develop my problem, it comes on in reverse. I didn't realize I had a drinking problem until several months after it had become apparent that I was having trouble sobering up. And if you're my kind of phony, when that problem arises, you don't go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I wouldn't have been caught dead in here. I went to a posh psychiatrist at a fancy address, and I lied to him. And he didn't help me. So I didn't pay him. (laughs) And then I went to what the book calls Health Farms and Sanitarians. And uh, I had a nice one going. Uh, They treated, uh, it was a combination, alcoholic-geriatric institution for some who were aged and some who were alcoholic and some who were both. And uh, they didn't help me either. And I went through the public forms of alcoholism therapy, you know, the hospitals, the jails, the uh, sanitariums and so on. And only after I had gone to all of these was I reluctantly willing to admit that maybe I wouldn't be completely tarnished if I went to one meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I went to a meeting with great reluctance because I was absolutely convinced you were going to break my anonymity and I knew how you would do it. I went to my first meeting in Long Beach, California in June 1961. And I knew that in one of the days following that meeting, I would run into one or more of you on the street, you would speak to me, and then everybody would know I had been to AA because you were supposed to look like
2: alcoholics.
1: (laughs) And as I previously said, you don't. And I was amazed that night, and I have been amazed at every meeting since, and I am amazed this morning uh, in realizing that the alcoholics of the world are cleverly disguised to look like ordinary human beings. (laughs) And there is great truth in the old cliche that if you can't smell them, you can't tell them. So I went to that first meeting with great reluctance. Now, at that time, I had uh, four cents in cash. I had my entire wardrobe on my back. I had an old car that I had terribly overvalued at 150 bucks, And I had almost a full pack of cigarettes. And I, uh, I lived in a recovery house for the first two months I was around the program on credit because I had no job and no prospect for getting any. My nearest relative was 2,000 miles away, and if they thought I was coming in their direction, they would have moved further. And uh, to this day, I feel close to people who come into AA through recovery houses of one kind or another. Uh, I came and I listened to these meetings, and uh, I had some misgivings about you. Uh, To this day, I have always been suspicious of newcomers who come in here and seem to buy this thing too quickly. Do you remember how you felt the first time you saw the 12th step? I thought that was the biggest joke I had ever seen. I thought if I tried to live by those principles, I would be at the mercy of every door-to-door book salesman and used car dealer in the world. That they might just as well write trick right across my forehead. I thought it was totally unworkable because like every other newcomer, I had never had any exposure to a program based upon rigorous honesty, and therefore I didn't know whether it would work or not. Uh, But anyway, I was was very suspicious in my first meeting. And uh, I would like to tell you that at some point in the first three months, some individual or some single event or some group had a tremendous effect on me, but it just didn't happen that way. All I know is when I came here on the first night, I thought you were about the funniest bunch I had ever seen. And three months later, I wanted to be like you, and I didn't know why. Now I drank once after I came to the program and when I came back I went into that recovery and uh, I got a job. I got a job in a department store selling t-shirts and sweat socks and it was about all I could handle. But one nice thing about being a department store clerk, if you are a newcomer to Alcoholics Anonymous, you do not take the problems of management home with you in the evening. Uh, You got plenty of time to go to meetings and I went eight to ten times a week. Uh, For a while I went because you were my only source of fresh pastry. (laughs) when I was living in a recovery house my car wasn't working uh, nobody would give me a ride anywhere else and uh, I I went a lot because I I developed a liking for you almost immediately not so much for your program but for you personally and that was very important to me Uh, as, uh, as time went on things began to get better for me as they do for everybody now I don't know whether this is true of anybody else but I suspect it may be During the time that I have been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, every single good thing that has happened to me has begun with a period of intense emotional pain. Uh, I'm a creature of habit, and even a bad habit, once broken, causes me some anxiety for the loss. And it's a little ridiculous, I suppose, but I'm stuck with it. For example, after I'd been in that department store for about a year, I really didn't care for that line of work. And a friend of mine on the program told me that the aerospace industry was hiring anybody who came out. And uh, I got to thinking about it, and I developed a terrific conflict uh, internally. I I thought on the one hand, well, here I have a job I don't like, but I know I can do it, and I can have it for as long as I want. On the other hand, I'd like to do something different, uh, but if I go out there, maybe they won't like me, and they'll fire me, and then I'll have no job. And so I mulled this over briefly for about six
2: months. (laughs)
1: And when the pain of not doing it became too great, I went out and I applied and I got into the aerospace industry. And sure enough, they were hiring everybody. And I inadvertently found I had stumbled into uh, a godsend because I had already been in the Navy, so I knew how to look busy without doing anything,
2: <laughs>
1: which is a tremendous help in any large corporation. And particularly in those days when they had the cost plus fixed fee contracts, I liked it so well I stayed there for seven years. But in any event, when I was about three years sober, I began to undergo another uh, period of psychic pain because it occurred to me that I did not want to do what I was doing for a living for the rest of my life. And in order to do something I really would like to do better, I would have to go back to school. Now I talked it over with my family and my friends and everybody that would listen to me. I knew there would have to be some minor adjustments in my AA activities because I was going back to school at night after a long period of time when the pain became too great not to I enrolled in school and went back I had great misgivings about it first off I was afraid I would plunk out and everybody in my home group would laugh at me I'm a member of the uh, the celebrated Lenox Avenue Friday night participation group in Huntington Beach California by the way and my home group I think is typical I don't know why I thought they'd laugh at me because I might stub my toe when you think about it logically if Right now, you lost everything you've attained in the world materially. Not one friend that you've developed in Alcoholics Anonymous would be lost to you. Because nobody here developed a friendship for you for what you've got. It's for what you are. And I don't know of any other group in the world that's like that. If I lost everything today, the only predictable emotion I would recognize in my home group the next time I went to it might be a little bit of envy because my story would be better the next time I spoke. (laughs) But I worried about failing, and I'd never been much of a scholar. I'd I'd gone to college uh, during the Korean War, uh, and uh, I'd gotten through the University of Illinois, but I I did just enough to get by and nothing more. Uh, In any event, uh, when when the pain became too great to stay where I was, I enrolled. And I made myself a promise that if school interfered with my AA activities, I would quit immediately and go right back to meetings every night, and that I would maintain my AA activities along with the schooling. And I think largely because of that promise, because I made it to myself, I didn't have to keep it. Uh, Things went very well for me. I had never gone to school one day at a time before. Uh, And by this time, you had taught me to live that way. And so this time, I didn't worry about the end of the curriculum or the end of the year or whatever may follow. I just went in with today's lesson today. And much to the shock of my wife and my sponsor and my friends, four years later, I graduated and I did reasonably well. I had gone back to law school. And now I was faced with still another emotionally painful decision. Should I take the bar exam? Because if I took it and passed, I would probably want to go into practice, and I would starve. <laughs> On the other hand, I could keep this old job that I had, which I didn't care much for by this time, uh, but I knew I could handle it. Well, when the pain of not doing anything became too great, I took the bar exam, and much for the shock of my wife and my sponsor and my friends, I passed. And I went into practice, fully uh, prepared to starve, and it didn't happen that way. Things got very good. My finances uh, took a, uh, a significant uh, jump. Things went very well for me, and I found at that time something that I had not realized before, that any significant change in my lifestyle, whether it is catastrophic or absolutely terrific, creates exactly the same anxiety. And you have to get closer to the program when the anxieties begin to deepen on you. And uh, I found myself going to a lot of meetings and staying very close to the people that I had come to know and love in this program. And for uh, almost six years thereafter, I was a member of a reasonably prosperous law firm in uh, Orange County, California, until a series of disasters began to befall me, which resulted in my losing the right to practice law. They began in October of 1975. At that time, one of my partners became ill and had to withdraw from the practice. I thought it was uh, extremely, Short-sighted of him, treat me this way. It never occurred to me that his diabetes and high blood pressure were not uh, caught for my benefit. Um, I was about to go on vacation when the poor guy came down with these problems. And my wife, with that cold Al-Anon logic that occasionally pervades our homes, suggested that if the problem were really as cataclysmic as I thought, it would still be here when we got back from vacation, so why don't we go and have a nice time anyway? And I've never been one to hit ladies but I came close on that occasion. We went on vacation. We had one of the best times in our lives. Came back, and on the day that I got back, when the accountants had told us we were going to have to dissolve the partnership as of December 1, 1975, for tax purposes, uh, I looked down on my desk, and on the top of the incoming mail, there was a notice that the West Orange County Court was going to be uh, taking on a commissioner. In California, a trial commissioner does virtually the same thing that a judge does, and they were taking applications. And this was the first time that I had been eligible to apply and did not have partnership responsibility to keep me from it, so I applied. Uh, I'm one of those people who lost jobs because of my drinking, so when I fill out an application or a resume, I have to put that down, and I did. But I also put down the fact that you and I have been keeping company for a few years now and some of the things that we've been doing together. And about a month after I applied, uh, the screening committee of judges of that court called in 20 of us out of the, I think it was 107 who had applied and interviewed us. And my interview was very good. We talked about everything except Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, recovery and alcoholism. And I, I figured out why on the way back to the office that day. I figured they'd already decided to hire one of their buddies and they didn't want to embarrass me by bringing this up. Not realizing that I have never been embarrassed by you or my association with you and I'm proud of it and I tell people about it. But in any event, about a week later, I got another call to come back for another interview. And this time they talked about nothing but you and recovery and uh, the problems of alcoholism. And later that month, in December of 1975, I was notified that uh, I had received the appointment and that as of January, um, I could go to work as a trial commissioner. I later found out from the judges who had done the initial screening that they felt that the fact that I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous was a significant advantage over some of the other applicants because of my knowledge of alcohol and drug problems, uh, which takes up about 70% of our caseload. So the next time you want to tell me about what a terrible stigma or handicap it is to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, write to me and I'll give you an address where it can be sent. Uh, I've never found that to be true. In any event, I went to work. And I could have held that job happily for the rest of my life. I enjoyed it. I was doing mostly traffic cases there. But unfortunately, on my sponsor's 30th AA birthday, Governor Brown removed me from my job as a commissioner by appointing me to a regular judgeship in the North Orange County Municipal Court in Fullerton, California, where I've now been for two and a half years. Uh, that's the district that has Anaheim Stadium and Disneyland and not very Farm, and I feel right at home there. Uh, my sponsor thinks it's outrageously funny that on his 30th birthday, one of his babies became one of the people he was most afraid of when he came to Alcoholics <laughs> Anonymous. The judiciary is an interesting occupation. I recommend it highly to any recovered alcoholic, and I particularly enjoy seeing alcoholics in the course of my work. I see them every day. The alcoholics in my courtroom are a little difficult to distinguish because they come in looking like judges, lawyers, police officers, bailiffs, probation officers, civil litigants, and when they're finished, they leave. The social drinkers, on the other hand, are immediately uh, easy to spot. They all come up with Orange County Jail across their chest, and they're wearing handcuffs. And they are mortally offended if any of us suggest that they might have an alcoholic problem. Now, I think anybody visiting us from another planet who looked in there would immediately conclude that if you were to become an earthling, an alcoholic would be a highly desirable state, if only by comparison with those who haven't quite made it yet. A knowledge of alcoholism is very handy in any criminal calendar. Uh, I've had some experience along those lines. I tend to be a little firm with people who continue to drink, although I try to be supportive of those who have decided to uh, to try to stop. Uh, I had a fellow in front of me once, uh, I looked down at his chart when he came in, he was in custody, and uh, the minute his case was called, he advised me that he would have to get out of jail on that particular day because he was going into a 12-step house we had there in Orange County, and they would only take people on that particular day. I've been a member of the board of that step house for a number of years.
2: <laughs>
1: We've never had a rule that we only take newcomers on Wednesdays, so that wasn't playing too well. Then he told me that he was en route to an AA meeting. Incidentally, he did not know that I belonged uh, for the program, as I later found out. Uh, and he was stopped because he had had two beers. I checked the police report and found out that he hadn't been stopped, he had been sleeping under some shrubbery and they thought he was dead when they went over. (laughs) Finally uh, I looked at his report and I noticed that he'd been in there two weeks earlier and the judge who had seen him at that time had given him 60 days in jail and suspended it on condition he not get arrested for six months. And then he hit me with a clincher, that he wanted to go back to Alcoholics Anonymous because he liked your philosophy of easy does it. (laughs) I told him I thought that was terrific, but he was going to have to do 60 days, first things first. (laughs) We managed to uh, have somebody meet him when he did his 60 days. We got him into that recovery house. Incidentally, it was not a Wednesday. And uh, last I heard, he was doing quite well, and I was very pleased by it. Uh, I don't know about you, but when the chips are down, when I tend to get depressed or anxious, I go to small discussion groups. And um, I keep a few in reserve. And there's one in Huntington Beach, California that I go to with some regularity, it's got a good hard core of sobriety and common sense in it. And a year or so ago, over a year ago, I went to it on a particular Tuesday night, and it was one of those meetings where the honesty was so strong you could almost tap dance on it at the end of the meeting. And when the meeting was uh, coming to an end, the group secretary got up and said he would sign court card. and we said the Lord's Prayer and after the meeting was over, a, a well-dressed lady in her sixties came over to me and said, would you please sign my court card? And I said, I'd be happy to, but I am not the group secretary. And she said, no, sir, but you are the bastard who sentenced me here. <laughs> She said, I want you to remember me when I come back. (laughs) I did. (laughs) She brought us twice the number of meetings on that court card that we had ordered her to attend. She's now had two birthdays. She is a good friend, and I love her dearly. And after we became friends, I asked her why she gave us all those extra meetings. And she said, because I resented the hell out of having to come here. She said, I wouldn't have minded it if I had hated those people or if I had not believed anything they said, but she said, from about the third or fourth meeting, I found myself looking forward to it. And I liked them. And uh, I liked everything about the program. And the more I liked them, the more I hated you. (laughs) And she said, the only way I knew of proving to you that you couldn't force me to come to these meetings was to bring back twice the number that you'd ordered me to attend. I really wish a lot more newcomers had that kind of resentment going for them in this program. Uh, She's a great gal. I've always liked to see newcomers in meetings. Uh, I guess, in part because of my occupation, newcomers and I are going to see something of each other, one way or the other, and I personally would much prefer it to be an Alcoholics Anonymous. I'd like to talk for just a moment about something that is essentially uncomfortable for me, but I think it needs to be said. I'm lucky. I came to Alcoholics Anonymous as an unemployed bum, and I have sort of gone through the ranks with you, and I have noticed there have been some changes in the way that my friends in Alcoholics Anonymous occasionally will react uh, to uh, situations that arrive in AA, I have noticed uh, from my own standpoint, and I have seen it more obviously in California than anywhere else, that occasionally we will get someone into Alcoholics Anonymous who is prominent in the community, or indeed who has had a great deal of publicity, or who by his occupation may be in a, a significant position. And I think there is a well-meaning tendency to treat that person differently, if only slightly differently, than we would treat any other newcomer walking in that door. And if we do that, we may kill him. One of the reasons I sobered up is because you treated me exactly like everybody else. And one of the reasons I think other people sober up in here is because once you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, you are a recovering alcoholic and nothing else. And I know that the people who are prominent in the community are the first to say, please don't treat me like anything except a member of this fellowship. But I think it's important that we remember there are no classes of membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, that we all have to be treated the same way. Because if we start being deferential to anybody, the price that they may pay is death or insanity. And that's too great to ask. And so uh, I make it a point of saying in the meetings that I go to, that if at the end of the meeting you call me by my first name and want to talk about Alcoholics Anonymous, I will be here until the lights go out. But if you call me judge or your honor or anything else that refers to my uh, occupation, I get nervous. And I tend to spill my coffee in your (laughs) lap. And uh, I'm here not because of anything except the fact that, hey, I'm a drunk who can't stay sober without you. And you've changed my life, and I'm grateful. And I need you more now than I needed you 17 and a half years ago when I had my last drink. And I think we all, all stand exactly in the same relationship and I hope we don't forget it. Now I have another job that uh, I do in the summertime that I had not intended to talk about very much here today because of the proximity of Wichita to Kansas City. For the last 14 years I was one of the regular public address announcers of California Angels in the summertime (laughs) and I uh, fill in occasionally for the Dodgers and, uh, and the Rams. This year I've just done spot work, but I'm still staying with it, and I'm going back home now because I uh, expect to be occupied in part during the playoffs. Um, When I started with the Angels in 1965, they were still playing in Los Angeles, and I told the people there that I was a member of AA, the front office, and their reaction I think was predictable. They said, so what? Uh, Does that mean you won't be here? I think I'm the only part-time employee they've ever had who's never missed a day's work. Uh, later, of course, I, I was no longer lonely in the press box. I, by the time I uh, left my regular duties there and just began to work uh, on a spot basis, we had three sports writers, half a dozen other support personnel, uh, the scoreboard operator two brothers, <laughs> and the scoreboard operator wasn't looking too good. And I wouldn't missed that for anything. I like to see drugs wherever I run across them, in press boxes or in courtrooms or anyplace else. Uh, And I really wish that I had film of the way that one of the sports writers who has well over 10 years, uh, when he and I uh, eat dinner together in Dodger Stadium, I wish I had film of the way we're treated because uh, it's something to behold. As you know, press boxes in in the ballparks have uh, restaurants behind them and everything is free and they have a bar and everything is free there. And when this friend of mine and I have dinner in Dodger Stadium, uh, I get better service than I've had anywhere in the world in a restaurant. And uh, I get better service than the owner of the Dodgers, for good reason. The owner of the Dodgers does not belong to Alcoholics Anonymous. But the press box waiter
2: does.
1: (laughs) And we take care of our own. And when the sports writer and I have dinner there, we talk about the meetings we've been to and the speakers we've heard and what our home groups are doing. And we talk about it a little louder than we really have to. With the possible exception of a drunk tank, I've never found any place that's uh, got any more newcomers to the acre than a, than a prep log has. And sooner or later, we are going to take over in there. It's only a matter of time. But I wouldn't trade those guys, the waiter and the, uh, the sports writer and those other people, for all of the corporation presidents and brain surgeons that I used to drink with. I drank in the same sleazy bar as you did, but I never drank with ordinary people. <laughs> I couldn't find any. <laughs> If I went into a place that did not have a uh, CPA for the evening, I might become one just to help them out a little bit. (laughs) I worked in New Orleans at one time. Uh, Betty, you are really in for it. Uh, I think I got to Alcoholics Anonymous about three years early just by transferring my license plate there. But uh, I worked in New Orleans one time, and I used to drink in a little bar uh, where they had um, my entire philosophy of life on the back wall. Four words, get drunk, be somebody. (laughs) (laughs) And I desperately wanted to. Uh, I'm not going to talk much longer. I promised that I would quit on time. I I scared Rich a little bit, our leader here. I I told him about a story that we tell in California. I don't know whether it's true or not, about uh, one of those meetings we had where we had two speakers instead of one. And they were both given a certain amount of time to fill. And uh, the first speaker got carried away. And when his time was up and he didn't finish, the speaker, uh, the leader of the meeting just reached over and tugged him on the coat. And the guy just went right on talking, you know. And after five more minutes, he reached up and he grabbed him by the tie and tugged him. And the guy just brushed him off and went right on talking. Well, the leader got so mad, he picked up his gavel and threw it at him. And he missed him and hit a, uh, an old-timer in the front row right between the eyes. And the old-timer, as he was sliding out of the seat, was heard to whisper, Hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> For those of you who have taken the appreciable risk of sitting in the front seat, I do not intend to make you targets here. (laughs) You know, I spoke earlier about how I felt about coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I felt terrible about it the way everybody else does, I think, on your first visit. But I don't think anybody has ever described that better than a guy from uh, Norm's home area. He came down to speak at one of my early meetings, and he had the best. uh, Description of how my kind of newcomer felt about coming to AA that I've ever heard and It was in the form of a letter. It was an advice to the love lord thing and I got a copy of it later And I'll pass it on to those of you who may be new or relatively new. It began dear abigail van buren I have uh, a brother who has been executed for murder and another who is doing life for rape and a third who was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous My mother sells dope to high school kids and my father makes bathtub gin Recently, I fell in love with a girl who has been sentenced to the state prison for smothering her illegitimate child, and I want to marry her. My question is, should I tell her about my brother who's on AA? (laughs) And that's just about the way I felt about you when I came in. Isn't it remarkable how our attitudes change over the years? I tell people now that I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for a number of reasons. One of which is it's a remarkably good source of newcomers. As much as we are doing to put the word out about alcoholism and recovery, I still find that there are people that I may have worked with five or ten or fifteen years ago or have known socially or in some other context who will discover an alcoholism problem uh, in their family or with their friends or with their co-workers or sometimes in their own lives and I may be the only guy they know who's ever dealt with it. And so I get an occasional call that way, and I'm pleased to get them. Another reason I tell people is I don't have to make up those funny stories when I go to cocktail parties about why I'm not drinking. I've never been offered a drink by anybody who knew I was an alcoholic. And uh, I suspect I've seen one or two guys who were coming in here new who were a little shy about breaking their anonymity, and I suspect it might have been for that reason. But in any event, uh, it's much easier just to tell people. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't have to make up stories at these parties when they have the punch bowl off to the side, like, you know, I'm having stomach trouble or I'm thinking about becoming a Mormon or one of those things. And the most important reason I tell people is because I am proud of you and proud to be a part of your progress and pleased with what has happened to me since I've been here. And I would like to take just a few minutes here at the end to talk a little bit about some of the opinions I have formed since I have been here. And I pass these along free of charge for whatever use they may be. and subject to the notice that I may change all of my opinions on 24-hours notice uh, as I learn more about this program. But I am absolutely convinced that Alcoholics Anonymous is the biggest con game I've ever seen. Uh, I came in here believing that you were going to deal with my drinking problem, not realizing that my drinking was a symptom of my real problem, which was living. And that's the one thing that you are uniquely qualified to deal with. People who cannot live successfully out there. Now, I was a little disappointed because I came to AA and drank once and came back. Uh, Otherwise, I would have had something over 18 years by now. And uh, when I came back to the program, I was undergoing uh, some unpleasant physical sensations uh, that are known to us all, and I had a copy of the big book. And I went through that book, wondering how you get over the shakes, and I found that in the basic text of our fellowship, there isn't a single word on physical sobriety. If there had been a consumer advocate at that time, I might have turned you in, because I thought the book had been sold to me under false pretenses. Not a word in there on how to get physically sober. The entire book deals with how to stay sober by dealing with the obsession once physical sobriety has been obtained. Uh, Another thing about uh, the fifth chapter that I think is a little bit misleading is that bit about some of us have underlying emotional disorders. I have been waiting desperately for 17 and a half years for some guy to walk in and say I am a normal, well-adjusted, happy newcomer who is just drinking himself to death and I would like some help. Everybody I've talked to so far and every story I've heard seems to come from one of those people with underlying emotional disorders, and I certainly had mine. And I think it's a gentle way of letting us into the fact that this problem is at once more deep and yet more soluble than any of us suspected when we came here. And I am amazed at the fact that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is as clear and as simple, although not easy, but as simple as we find it to be. I thought it was so deceptively simple when I read the steps that there must be something you had left out. Did you have the feeling when you were new that if you could really turn it on for about 90 days and convince the old timers that you were sincere that some night after the meeting was over they'd take you back in the back room and add that one additional step that would make it all fall into place? And I was a little bit disappointed on my first birthday to realize that the old timers were doing it the same way I was, You know, right out of the book, it's there. And of course, I found too that Alcoholics Anonymous deals with attitude that basically what this program is designed to do is to give you and I a certain simple attitude described in chapters two and three of the big book that will enable us to live comfortably on the outside. In essence, there is a source of power in this program that I had no idea was here, and it is more vast and, uh, and obviously more awesome than anything I've ever encountered. If you want to get just a glimpse of it, let me suggest this. Talk to the best psychiatrist you can find about compulsive behavior patterns and ask him what kind of luck he's having in dealing with people with those patterns. Mm -hmm. If he is really top drawer, he may be helping 3%. For the last 45 years, Alcoholics Anonymous has been helping 75% of the compulsive behavior patterns that walk in that door and every other door like it, the, the compulsive behavior pattern being manifested in alcoholism. That's raw power. You may put any label on it you want, but it's there. And it comes into being the minute I begin to work these 12 deceptively simple steps. I noticed it first, when it, for the first time in my life, it was no longer necessary for me to drink after I came here. And then as I began to work it and I began to read the program, it became apparent to me that I'm not entitled to practice these principles only on that immediate drinking problem. I'm required to practice these principles in all of my affairs. So that same source of power, which has enabled me to live comfortably without alcohol for 17 and a half years, is available in any area of my life where I am willing to use it. It's there to make me a better member of my community, a better member of my family, a better member of my profession. I can use it anywhere I wish by simply applying these principles one day at a time. And that's a lot more intoxicating than anything I ever get out of the bottle. I am absolutely convinced that you and I can go anywhere we want to go. We can do anything we want to do and become any kind of people we want to become. If we will first and foremost apply the conditions of this program to our lives one day at a time, and then make the sacrifices necessary to get what we want, God will give us every single thing we are capable of handling, provided nothing becomes more important to us than being sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's more intoxicating than anything I ever get out of a bottle. And so if you be new or relatively new, and you're worried about coming into Alcoholics Anonymous, Be assured that those of us who are here now as recovering alcoholics did not come here in order to die sober. We came here to learn to live that way. I didn't come here in order to go into some kind of a spiritual leisure world. I came here because I wanted a bigger slice of life out there. And I never in my life went first class until I met you. And I've never gone second class since. Every successful person I have ever known has been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous Uh, in the true sense of success. We learned early on that success and prosperity have nothing to do with a of your car the size of your wallet. There's great truth in that old joke that if you want to see what God thinks of money, look at the people he gives it to. But by the same token, <laughs> if you define success as we do, as being the ability to live comfortably with yourself, the success rate in Alcoholics Anonymous is staggering. There are people who are working this program so well that I feel better the minute they walk in the room, even if we don't have a chance to talk. Norm, whom you heard Friday night, is a good example of that. There are people in this program who have learned to, to control that inner emotional core to such a degree that they have achieved the serenity the book talks about. And you know, if you and I can control our emotional reactions to the world, it doesn't matter what happens out there. We can never again be hurt. We can love freely and fully and openly without being vulnerable to anything. We can go from the position of being our own worst enemy to our own best friend. And that's more intoxicating than anything I ever get out of a bottle. And I'm grateful to you for it. I am aware this morning that if there's any part of my life that's unhappy or unsatisfying or unfulfilling, you have already given me the tools to change it, if I will use them the way you have taught me to. And so never again do I have to settle for second best. Never again do I have to be unhappy or unfulfilled, but never again can I blame anybody else for it because I know too that I already have what's necessary to change it. You've given me that. Perhaps most importantly, you have given me of your lives during the 17 and a half years that I have been sober. There is a certain basic excitement to being around drunks that I have never found with anybody else in the world. At first, I just thought you were weird. <laughs> Later, as I got to know you, I realized that the source of this excitement is your ability to live in the present, one day at a time. Everybody lives in the present, but we're the only ones who enjoy it. Uh, It amazes me, you know, that in Alcoholics Anonymous, there are so many young people of all ages. (laughs) If you define young as being uh, those people whose aspirations are more important than their memories, I can't find any oldsters in here. And if you can find people who are excited about living now, uh, that's Alcoholics Anonymous. We are people who are neither shackled by the past nor terrified of the future, who are aware that all we have is today but that God has already given us everything we need today in order to be happy right up until bedtime tonight if we choose to. And that's more intoxicating than anything I ever got out of a bottle. And in the last analysis, I guess that uh, the thing that keeps bringing me back to you again and again and again is the love and the understanding that these drunks have for each other. It's fully as addictive as anything that ever brought me here in the first place. It's an amazing thing for a loner, and we've all been loners, with all those defense mechanisms built and they're always built when we come in here, to find out sometime in those first months or years that for the first time in your life you're with people who love you openly, freely, and without reservation. And you cannot absorb that love day after day after day without coming to the point in your own life where no matter how self-centered you've been, you suddenly realize you can look at a bunch of drugs and honestly say to them, I love you. And you too. And I guess in the last analysis, Uh, I enjoy being with you because I am absolutely convinced that when you come into Alcoholics Anonymous, regardless of your age or circumstance or condition, you can absolutely rely on one fact. The best day of our lives has not yet been lived, and every day we take over, it gets closer. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Phil. You know, when Barney asked me to come down and chair this meeting, uh, I thought it really bothered me. But really, it's been a privilege to stand up here and look at all you beautiful people. And I can feel the love out there. And this conference has been a labor of love. And the man who made it possible is sitting right here, Barney. <laughs> I didn't make this possible. This would have been a hell of a conference if the only one showed up as the Speaker's Nick Mitty, wouldn't it? But you people are made this. And a lot of other people, I'm going to try to be very brief. There is a couple in the audience that I would like to stand that probably come the longest distance to attend this conference, and I've got to visit with him, sure. Well, John, you and your lovely wife stand up here from Australia. And I don't want to take the credit for this conference. There was a lot of people that put in a lot of time and effort in this and really, as I think back, I, maybe I had very little to do with it. Now, they tell me in the past that you shouldn't mention names when you're thanking the people. And there's a lot of people that did a lot of work that I couldn't think of all of them mentioning their names. But there are three or four that I am going to, and uh, maybe not in the order that their work, but there is. And the first thing I'd like for you to meet is my lovely wife, Doris. And it was her patience put up on up. I told her Friday, she said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, from Friday noon till Sunday noon, my time along to the Kansas State uh, Conference. And there were three other people that's been a tremendous help. You've heard Marty's name mentioned. And there's also a couple of guys, uh, Dom and Frank, will you stand up, that's been tremendous. And I couldn't have, we couldn't have had it without them three people. And I certainly want to thank the speakers for coming, Phil and his wife, and the rest of you, for being here and making this weekend possible for us. We had about 1,975. That's an unofficial count, you know, like they do in the votes. We kind of run them over fast this morning, registered for this conference. It has been a a pleasure for me and... uh, Each and every one of you out here has helped my sobriety to do that, and each and every one of you here has been uh, a part of my sobriety. This is the time of the year I get to see a lot of people that's back early played a big part in my sobriety. And a good friend asked me, and they said no announcements, but I will say Chuck and Elsa C. will be in Topeka. On October the 21st at the Civic Center for their AA Banquet, I did ask Dylan, you know, if we get off on that. This has been a lovely conference. To me, I've had a lot to do in different capacities with a lovely conference, and I think as far as I'm concerned, personally, this one went the best of any, and as far as I'm concerned, it's the greatest, not particularly because I was a chairman, because you people made it that way. And I guess I can say just thank you and God love all of you for being here, and I hope we see you all here next year. So let's stand and join hands if you care to and close this conference with a Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the is of the kingdom, the power,
2: and the glory forever. Amen. Sometimes life can knock you down. Hit you like a diesel
0: truck. Ought to learn how to fall. It's right back up. The views expressed on this broadcast of Interview Friday do not necessarily reflect the opinions of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. That
2: first time, I went to a meeting. They said anything. Ain't about drinking
0: Oh, the room, the talk about dope,
2: and blow, They their head and said, No, no, no. no, no. And now, broadcasting to you from KHLT Recovery Broadcast.